Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I am a Cuban freedom fighter. I am here bringing to the American people a two part message. Number one, to tell a story of what I saw, lived, and breathed concerning Cuba and the actions of our government. Number two, to try to awaken the mass of citizens of the United States to the treacherous dealings in which our government has betrayed not only the Cubans, but each and every American. I became involved in the revolution in Cuba when I, by chance, went to Havana, Cuba on vacation. I became acquainted with a 15-year-old bellhop at the St. John Hotel. He, in turn, took me to Camilo Sanfuegos, who was a commandant movement, which was the movement headed by Fidel Castro. I then became a captain in the revolution. And when the revolution was over, and we were on our way down to Havana, the rapings of women, of innocent people from trees, I've witnessed people laying in the streets with their heads bashed in from rifle butts given to these people through the militia, or at that time, the rebel army. Then I witnessed the 18,000 Cuban children between the ages of 12 and 16 that were sent to Russia and Czechoslovakia for the purpose of going through a four-year communist indoctrination school. Then there was the agrarian reform. The agrarian reform plan was a plan to which to supposedly give to each compensino or workman that would be their own. Loads of that were arriving in spoke Spanish, but they were not Cubans. They were being hauled out to the Ciudad Libertad and to other military installations throughout Cuba. I later on found out that these were the same Spanish people taken from Spain during the communist takeover in Spain. Then the forfeiture of all human dignity of the Constitution, and they then instilled upon the peace of justice I have military tribunals, the news media. These same United States that I seen come to front in Cuba in 1959. And I'm running scared. I also seen the trials. These trials would last from two to five minutes. There would be a three-man tribunal. They would bring the accused in before the three-man tribunal. They would ask him his name, rank, and serial number, an organization that he was with, an area that he was in. Whereupon the officers would present a three or a four or a five page uh, documentation signed either by thumbprint or by an X or by a signature from some Cuban that stated that this man had committed this atrocity.
He was found guilty and immediately taken to La Cabana, where sometime during the night or the early hours of the morning, he would be taken to the wall and executed. Then came the trial. Now this was an open public trial that was to be held. They had saved all of the generals and the colonels and the majors and the captains for this particular trial. The trial was held at the ballpark. The ballpark seats 50,000 people. It's in downtown Havana on the corner of 23rd and L Street. On the day of the trials, they had approximately 75,000 people packed into these stands. They built a special stand out in the middle of the ballpark. They dug three holes in the ground and planted three poles. They would haul the individual officers up to the stand before the three-man tribunal, asking their name, rank, and serial number and organization or area that they were in charge of. Upon tribunal officer would find them guilty. He would then turn to the audience and ask them what the penalty should be, whereupon the answer would be, paredon, paredon. They would scream it like thunder coming from a thunderstorm, whereupon the tribunal officer would order the man to be executed. They would haul the officer down to the poles, tie him to the poles, and the firing squad would execute him. These trials reminded me of the Christian trials. The only difference was that during the Roman days, they used animals, lions and tigers. Whereas in Cuba, the communists, under the leadership of the butcher Castro, was using animals with weapons. After the trials had quieted down, I was given some communist literature to read and to hand out to the men. I couldn't believe this information that was being handed to me. Being a gullible American, I had believed all the bull that had been given out in the hills. Liberty, freedom from poverty, plenty of food, free education for all, etc. So I immediately went to Camilo Sanfuegos' office. Camilo's office was at the Esta Mayor in the big army camp in Havana. At this time, Camilo was the commanding officer in charge of the army. When I went to Camilo, Camilo told me that Fidel Castro had been a communist since 1945, that he was arrested on many occasions in Cuba for attending communist meetings and for being a member of the Communist Party. Camilo went on to tell me that Fidel Castro was also in charge of the Cuban delegation that went to the Bogota riots in 1948. He then told me that the revolution reminded him of a watermelon, green on the outside and red on the inside. We then talked about overthrowing the communists in Cuba and having free elections whereby the people could then vote into office those people that were freedom-seeking, constitutional-loving Cubans. We formed a group called the La Sombra Group. We started our training on the pretext of training men to invade Nicaragua. I was given three farms outside of Havana, and there is where we started our training. In April of that year, I was arrested for counter-revolutionary activities, whereupon I was sent to three prisons. I was at La Cabana, Principe, and the Dier. I was also at the first police station and at the prison at Ciudad Libertad. While I was being held in prisons, I was beaten and tortured and brainwashed. As an example, I can remember a lieutenant that was a Mexican national that used to put his knee in my groin, and he thought this was the greatest kicks in the world. 
I can also remember Capitan Guiter, who used to take a 45 pistol and slap me upside the head with it, or pull the receiver back and put it up to my head and pull the trigger, me not knowing that there was no shells in the gun. These are some of the acts that were inflicted upon me by the communists in order to have me give the information that they wanted. I one day got a hold of Camilo's office. Camilo came down that very afternoon and got me out of the Dier station and took me to Ciudad Libertad. So he then put me in prison and told me that he might be able to get me free in a few days. Two days later he came by and told me that the adjutant general's office had started investigating all the weapons at Ciudad Libertad, the main army barracks. Well, at this time, I was 1,400 weapons short. So he told me that it would be best if I'd take a trial and get out of the country, whereupon I agreed. I went before a three-man tribunal. I was given the death sentence and 24 hours to get out of the country. I then got on the telephone and called the American embassy, and I talked to a man by the name of Thompson. He was a 26-year-old boy. When I told him that I was an American citizen and who I was, he told me that I'm not interested, that you got yourself into this, you get yourself out. I had a few words to say to him and hung up. I then called Ambassador Bonzel, and I got a hold of him personally. He explained to me that the situation had been explained to me perfectly, whereupon he hung up. Camilo Sanfuegos then took me to the airport put me on a Pan Am plane for the United States, and I arrived back in the States. The next morning after my arrival back in the States, a knock came on the door, and a CIA agent presented his credentials to me. He questioned me for approximately five minutes. Not one time during this five minutes did he ever take a note. Upon completion of this five-minute interrogation, he told me to say nothing to the FBI about what I had told him. He also told me that I was to not tell the FBI that a member of the CIA had ever come to talk to me. Well, this seems strange at the time, but it's very plain now. I was then contacted by a member of the Immigration Department. He explained to me that due to the fact I was an officer in a foreign army, that I must have taken the oath of allegiance. Therefore, I could lose my citizenship. However, he felt that if I became a good citizen and did not criticize the actions of my government in Cuba and the actions of my government elsewhere and would not give the information out about what I had seen or done in Cuba, that he felt that there would be no action taken to take my citizenship away from me. So for the next two and a half years, I became a real good Kennedy-type and Eisenhower-type citizen. Not a very good American, but a real good citizen. When I would hear from my Cuban friends, either by telephone or by telegram, letter, or in person, I'd feel a little sick to my stomach because I knew that I wasn't treating them right or doing right by them or my own country. And then I read a quote from Abraham Lincoln, and I felt that it fit me to a T, and I quote, To sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards out of men. I talked it over with my wife many a times about going back to Cuba or about going down into, Cu into Florida and training Cubans for the purpose of invading Cuba. And then I read a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, and I quote, I do the things I believe ought to be done, and when I make up my mind, I act. <laughs> 
So I acted. I left for Miami, Florida, and when I arrived, I was absolutely amazed and appalled at the conditions that exist in Miami. I talked to groups that told me of being paid $200 to $250 a month by the Central Intelligence Agency to do nothing. I talked to other groups that had been given guns and boats and equipment by the CIA and ordered to do nothing until they are ordered to go into Cuba. These same people have been sitting in Miami, Florida for the last two years. All combat Cuban groups are restricted to Dade County, Florida. Any Cuban who is a member of a Cuban freedom fighter group is restricted to Dade County. And if they leave Dade County, they can be arrested and can be deported to Cuba. If these men are deported to Cuba, it's absolutely instant death. Don't say that Kennedy can't do it or won't do it because he set a precedent not long ago when he sent Perez Jimenez back to Venezuela. Other individuals told me of being stopped on the streets and searched. Houses are being searched for weapons. Cars, gas tanks are being checked continuously and constantly in Miami because the CIA and the Secret Service knows that when a combat group is ready to go into Cuba, the only way they've got of getting gas is filling their gas tanks, draining it, and then putting this gas into 55-gallon drums. So whenever they find a gas tank that's just been filled and freshly drained, they know there's a raid going on within the next couple of nights, so they then double the watches out on the keys. I made contact with three ex-members of the La Sombra group that was with me in 59. We had no arms and no equipment, but they, in return, had 20 men. So we then started contacting Cubans who were of influence. We contacted Miro Cardona of the Cuban Revolutionary Council. This man was being paid $81,000 a month by the Central Intelligence Agency for the purpose of bringing about unity between the exiles and to help the combat groups for the freedom in Cuba. And Miro Cardona told me that he was not interested in a combat group, that the only thing that he was interested in was bringing about unity between the exiles. We then left and started going door to door, person to person, business place to business place, begging and borrowing to get the equipment that we needed. We'd get a gallon of gas from this man. We'd get two bullets from this one. We'd get a rifle from this one. We'd get a quarter of a pound of explosives from this one, a half pound over here. And this is the manner in which we got the equipment we needed. We had everything except a boat. And it just so happened that one of the Cubans made a trip to Nassau and found a boat that was floating away. This is the boat that we used on our raids. Our first raid, we went into Pinal del Rio province. This is the northernmost province that's 90 miles from our shores. We arrived in, in Pinal del Rio province during the night. We made contact with two members of the underground and they took us near San Julian Air Base. We found out that there were no Cubans allowed in the area, that the only two nationalities of people that are on the base is Russians and Czechs. We've also found out that at San Julian Air Base, they've got MiG 15s, 17s, 19s, and 21s. We also know that they've got bombers, IL-28 bombers, 50 miles, plus nuclear capabilities. Went on in and blew a bridge. On our way out, we ran across another member of the underground, 
that told us that he had a friend that drove a gasoline truck at San Antonio de Baños Air Base. We gave him a Minox camera and two rolls of film and sent him on his way. We came back to the States and our next trip in, we made contact with a man who had the camera and the film. He told us that on the film he had pictures of seven crates that were being unloaded from a Russian cargo plane. He stated that the crates were approximately six feet wide, seven to eight feet tall, and that the top came to a funny point. He did not know what was in these crates. He went further to say that he overheard two of the Cuban pilots that stationed at San Antonio State, that that's the funniest plane they had ever seen, that it had special pressurization and climatic control devices in it. He also stated that he had pictures of two of these crates being hauled into a special blockhouse that was well guarded. He also found out that the blockhouse had special pressurization and climatic control devices. He stated that he had a picture of Fidel Castro's own private constellation, that he had a picture of an SA-2 missile, he had a picture of a couple of MiG-21s and MiG-19s and an IL Bomber 28. So we took the film and the camera and told a man to do nothing to draw suspicion, and we left. As soon as we got back to the States, we sent one roll of film to one of the senators and another roll of film to a very good friend of ours. On our next trip into Cuba, we found out that Emma Terrio was murdered as he was leaving his house, that his wife was taken to prison, and that his four children were being taken to a communist indoctrination school. As soon as we got back to the States, we found out from the offices of these two gentlemen that the films had never arrived. Well, how in hell am I ever going to explain this to Emeterio's wife and children if they live through the hell that they're going through now? How am I going to explain to them that not only does our government protect the communist butchers, that not only does our government give aid and abet the murdering communists, but that now our government or people in our government is stealing all the information that they can get their hands on that's coming out of Cuba for the purpose of sending this information back into Cuba so that they can liquidate the freedom fighters that are in Cuba. And because of this and other reasons that are quite apparent to us all, I swear to you that I shall not stop my fight until our hemisphere is wiped clean of every conspirator, every one-world traveler, every socialist, and every communist. And when it's all over, and we, the American people, have won our country back from the Eisenhowers and the Three K Brothers and all the other one-world thinkers and socialists and murdering communists, I want some questions answered. I want to know who. Who are the traitors of our great and beloved country, the United States of America? I want to know how. How could they betray the very things that our fathers and their forefathers and their forefathers before them fought and died for in order to hand down to their children and to their children's children the sacred heritages of our great America? The American people mad. What does it take to wake the American people up? Does it take your wives raped in your presence? Does it take that your children are sent to communist indoctrination schools? Does it take trials in your own ballparks? 
Well, if it does, forget it. For this is communism, and not one country in the last 28 years has fought out from under communism. We needed equipment for our next raid. We sold everything we had. We sold our watches, we sold our pistols, we sold a 56 Chevrolet, we sold our clothes, I sold my wedding band, shoes, everything. On our next raid, we were based outside of, it's impossible to use this base now, so I can tell you that we were near Cape Don Marie. We were leaving Haiti one night for a raid into Cuba. When we were about three or four miles off the coastline of Haiti, we noticed three boats coming. We figured that these were fishing boats and that we could get some food. We found out that the lead boat was a Kronstadt. Now a Kronstadt is a Russian PT boat, the same PT boats that patrol Cuba. Well at this time, we had a 57 recorded BARs, 230 caliber machine guns, and some hand grenades. As we came along broadside of the Kronstadt, we opened up with everything. The boat sank. The other two boats surrendered without firing a shot. Found out, Algerians on board. The same as the Haitian people speak. The boats further, we found out that there was arms and explosives on board, plus stacks and propaganda. That the communist propaganda had two pictures on it. A picture of Fidel Castro and a picture of Ganda stated, Haitians rise and revolt. Ben Bella and Fidel Castro are your brothers. Rise and revolt and, and from the capitalists. Put the boys in the water and sank the boats and left. A Vostler crossed our waterway for miles. And as it was closing in, we were getting close. So we headed right straight in for the shallow parts of the water. Our boat drug two, two and a half foot of water, only seven. As we came in near the shoals, we looked behind and we seen there the Vossler Plateau. We went ahead and went on into Cuba and we crossed overland. When we got to where we had intended to go, played a radio communication center and a fuel dump. When we found out that Fidel Castro was on television for four and a half hours, stating that there had been two Russians killed, four militiamen killed, and been wounded. He called us traitors to the revolutionists and terrorists. Let's feel good because we knew that we on our way out, we were contacted by Oldman or all the white to the in order to have food for their families and their friends and in order their small bit of sabotaging in Cuba. Occasions in Oriente province of milk that was part of the ransom supplies paid for the Bay of Pigs prisoners. Only 10% of the ransom supplies are remaining in Cuba that the rest of them cannot, they're either being shipped out of the country or stored. They gave me this can of milk and I read it. On this label is a picture of two flags, an American flag and a communist Cuban flag. And in between this written in Spanish is this, paid for by the government of the United States for the damage to the Bay of Pigs area, those heroes who died in an effort to keep their fatherland free from the capitalist nation 90 miles from our sacred shores. We left the patrol and started towards our boat. We were ambushed. We lost five men. We got to the boat and took off. We waited two days and went back into Cuba. Into or when we came into the area that the caves were at, we couldn't get within 20 miles of the openings of the caves. We know that there were Russians, civilians, and Russians who were wearing the militia uniform that were patrolling the area. 
We tried for two days to penetrate. We couldn't. We've seen earth movers. We've seen road graders. We've seen uh, all types. So went ahead and left the area and went near Baracoa. When we got near Baracoa, we found out that this was the area that, that's got the largest assassination sabotage in communist Cuba. We also found out that this is the headquarters for the International Brigade. That in the International Brigade, they have Spanish, Congolese, Algerians, Ghanians, Russians, Mongolians, Chinese, Czechs, Cubans, and Latins from every Latin American country. That some of these Latins will be sent back to their prospective countries for the purpose of infiltrating and overthrowing the government that now exists there. But that the rest will either remain at the school as cadrymen or will become members of the International Brigade. Explain some of the things that we saw in Cuba. House committees. On every corner of every block, in every village, city, and town, you have your house committeemen. Their job is that anybody that enters that block is reported to the militiamen immediately if he does not live in that block. If this man does not, or woman, does not have permission by pass to be in the area, he's usually never seen or heard of again. Food. It's true that there is some foods in Cuba. Havana, for instance, has some foods of all varieties. But it's not plentiful, and it's all rationed. The reason they have these foods in Havana is that Havana is the showplace of communism. But take Havana. This is where the people are at. This is where the people are starving to death. As an example, the daily diet for a Cuban is a handful of rice, a few beans, and fish. Bread. One loaf of bread per family per month is what's rationed. Beef. You don't get beef in outside areas. You do not see one dog or one cat in any of the southern provinces in Cuba. I know a man who paid $30 for a turkey. Chickens are running $25 on the black market. Eggs, a dollar a piece on the black market, if you can get them. Sabotage. The civilian populace is doing anything and everything to sabotage the communists in Cuba. They're cutting their legs and their feet and their hands so that they don't have to go to work. They're staying home from work and calling in and telling them that they're sick. They're tying rags to, to rats' tails and setting them on fire and sending them through the sugarcane fields. They're putting nuts and bolts in the equipment and machinery in order to slow down and stop the production because the machinery can't be replaced. They're putting sugar in gas tanks of vehicles and machinery in order to ruin them. They put tacks, nails, and broken glass in the streets because the tires can't be replaced. They're cutting the leather belts that drives the machinery. They're setting booby traps of all kinds. If these people had the equipment that our government should have given them in 1959, 1960, 1961, and 1962, they would have blowed the communist rats right out of Cuba. Cuba today could be free. Cuba today could be living under a constitution. But under the Kennedy administration and the Eisenhower administration, they do not see this. They do not want the Cuban people free, for they themselves are one-world thinkers. They themselves are pro-socialist and pro-communist. In Cuba, they formed a new group. 
The Cuban people call them the Death on Wheels boys. What this is, is a group of hardcore communists, murdering, barbaric, most of them are degenerates, most of them use marijuana, or their... These people will go into a small village town or a city and contact the defense groups for the defense of the revolution. Now the defense group's only job is to take down the names of those people who do not work steadily or regularly as they should, or who talks against Fidel or socialism or communism. The defense groups gets these names and cold-bloodedly murders these people. I've seen this on three occasions. It is running ravage completely throughout Cuba. Terror into the Cuban people that is second to none. I have two fellows in my group who are members of the 25 Day of Pig. That when they were first being trained, they were being trained as special forces groups. This is 10 to 15 men to a team that they will be dropped into Cuba either by land, sea, or air, and there they will make contact with the underground and the guerrillas for the purposes of training them and they themselves helping in sabotaging. Well, in February of 1961, just two months after our great white father in Washington took office, he changed all this. He changed it to an invading force. Now, this great hero of the Pacific War sent less than 1,500 men into Cuba, and in Cuba, the militiamen has 150,000 men and women under arms. Well-equipped, well-trained people, 150,000 of them. Cuba has got a Navy, an Air Force, an Artillery Division, a Tank Division. They've also got missiles. In Okinawa, during World War II, the United States sent in, in support and in actual invasion, over a quarter of a million people. They had aircraft carriers, battle wagons, cruisers, destroyers, bombers of all kinds. But yet, our same government sent 1,500 in to Cuba. I know some of the Cuban and American pilots, civilians, that were to have taken part in the Bay of Pigs invasion. They were issued P-51s, B-26s, C-54s, and C-46s. That on the morning of the invasion, when they went out to their planes to take off, the CIA had to forcibly, by arms, restrain them from taking off. And then the CIA let two unarmed cargo planes take off and fly over Cuba. One of them was a C-54 with four Americans on board, and the other one was a C-46 with three Americans on board. These two planes with seven Americans were lost over Cuba and shot down by artillery and aircraft. If they had have had the air support that was promised by the Kennedy and Eisenhower administration alike, they would be alive today. So I thereby hold Kennedy responsible for the deaths of those seven Americans that were murdered by reason of not having air support that the Kennedy and Eisenhower administration had promised the Bay of Pigs boys. I also know a Cuban, who is now a civilian, that was in the United States Navy and a member of the UDT team number 21. 
He stated that he was on board the USS Boxer on the day before and the day of the invasion. He stated that on the day of before the invasion, that the USS Boxer, the USS Randolph, along with seven escort vessels, all painted off their numbers and their names, that all the aircraft on board the two aircraft carriers had their numerals, names, and insignias painted off with gray paint. State that on the day of the invasion, they were sitting close enough to the Bay of Pigs area to see the Cubans landing at the Bay of Pigs. They could see the artillery, they could see the the blasts that were coming out into the ocean. I also know that there were four F-4U fighter planes that was flying over the Bay of Pigs area on the morning of the Bay of Pigs invasion. That when the ground crews that was in the Bay of Pigs ordered for a strafing mission, they gave the coordinates, received orders from their mothership, do not engage the enemy. I repeat, do not attack. Return to your mothership for cap cover immediately. Where that was on the radio, then stated this, and I quote, Well, the least you bastards can do is come down and see how real men die. And then the four planes flew off. I'll now tell you about some of the phony airdrops that was dropped by the CIA. I know a man by the name of Padron who had over 400 men. He was ordered by the CIA to go into the San Cristal Mountains. For midnight or five minutes after midnight, he would receive his airdrop. Well, the airdrops didn't come. After midnight, the militia attacked. He got out with 11 men, right leg. I know you. Who was to have received a shipment of arms? Instead, he received 5,000 plastic underarm holsters. A man by the name of Babuena but didn't have firing pins. I know another man by the name of Herrera. He received M1 Garands and 30 caliber machine guns, but they received the wrong ammunition. I know another man by the name of Hernandez that received grenades. Their grenades had instant detonators. He lost three of his men. When you pull a pin and throw them, they explode immediately. I know another man by the name of Contillo that ordered air tanks and explosives. He got them. The air tanks were contaminated and the explosives was black powder. We are now defending the butchers in Cuba. The pattern to me is real plain and clear. Eisenhower knew as early as 1957 that Fidel Castro and the revolution was communist, but yet he did not say one word about this to the American people. Quite to the contrary. He knew in 1957 that Fidel was a communist because Ambassador Smith, who at that time was the ambassador to Cuba, sent a complete dossier concerning the communist background of the revolution and Fidel. We didn't intervene in 1959 when all the American properties were being confiscated and stolen by the communists. We didn't intervene in 1959 when all the Cuban civilians were being murdered. Then came the Bay of Pigs, which, as I stated before, was a murder plot to gain the election for the liberal-minded, fuzzy-headed people that are throwing our country down a one-world socialist path. We are now coexisting with Cuba. We'll be giving the communists in Cuba Guantanamo Bay within a year. 
the United States government is now supporting three known socialists and communists for the purpose of reinvading Cuba. These three people, as Manuel Artime of the MRR, Manolo Rai, and Guiter Manoyo in Puerto Rico, Guatemala, and Nicaragua under the sponsorship of the CIA. The three K brothers will stoop to absolutely no known depth to gain the re-election. We've lost 24 countries in the last 18 years to communists, and Latin America is next. Juan Bosch of Santo Domingo is a communist. Betancourt of Venezuela is a communist. Chetty Jagan of Guinea is a communist. Goulart of Brazil is a communist. Colombia is communist. Peru and Chile will vote, will be voting in communist through free elections this year. Honduras is next. We, the American people, have got to free one captive nation to show the rest of the world that we, the American people, do not tolerate or assist or condone the communists. If we set one example, these other people will then resist communism. But now all they can see is that the American government is helping to advance the communists. Our free enterprise system must stand and take a stand so that we can show the rest of the world that we are freedom-loving people so that they will then resist communism. There is fighting going on in Cuba right now, and you have a fight on your hands too. Your battleground is not in the mountains. Your battleground is here, and the time to fight is now. Our enemies are the same people. The only difference is that we are fighting with guns, and your fight is with knowledge and words of truth. Not quarter truths, not half truths, but the whole truth and the word of God. In closing, I would like to read a letter from Enrique Alayaca, a Cuban survivor of the abortive 1961 Bay of Pigs invasion. We landed at the Bay of Pigs at the crucial hour. The air cover we was promised was withdrawn and we were betrayed, and you know by whom. Many of my comrades in arms died, and the rest were thrown into communist prisons. I was released because of ransom paid to a butcher by the government who betrayed us. But mark this well, there will be no one left to pay your ransom, no one left to come to your rescue. There will be no second chance for Americans, and I thank you.